Hello, and welcome to a creepy edition of Relevate Presents Scholarship. We'll be talking about you, the series uh, with Penn Badgley, among others, uh, about a man who has quite an obsessive love interest, and well, two love interests as we get into season two. And joining us to talk about that today is Dr. Chelsea Spencer. Dr. Spencer is a research assistant professor and instructor at Kansas State University. Dr. Spencer, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to being a part of the podcast today. Well, thank you very much. And if I'm the MC, I have my DJ, Dr. Denzel Jones, with me. Denzel, how you doing? Hey, hey, it's nice to be here again. Dr. DJ, DJ, right? Dr. DJ, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's your initials, too. I always forget that about you. That's a perfect yeah. uh, setup. Um, you really missed your calling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's um, it's still hidden somewhere deep down within me. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, before we get into you, let's talk about you, comma Chelsea Spencer. So, Doctor <laughs> Spencer, um, tell us a little bit about interests, your research passions, um, and a little about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the main topics that I research are intimate partner violence, intimate partner homicide, and sexual violence. And a lot of my research is really looking at uh, identifying risk factors, so seeing what factors put someone at risk for um, violence or homicide perpetration or victimization, and the, the overall goal is to maybe identify um, where we can target intervention and prevention efforts. With intimate partner violence, I'll look at both male and female perpetration and male and female victimization. Um, a lot of the research on intimate partner homicide, just due to the gendered nature of it, um, more women uh, are substantially victims of intimate partner homicide. We've only really looked mostly at male perpetration and female victimization. And that's a lot due to I specialize in meta-analyses, and you just use the data that's already been published in the field. And so that's a lot of what's been published. Yeah. And the, the numbers kind of reflect that as well. Exactly. Um, so uh, if you're ready to go, let's start talking about uh, you, the show. <laughs> um, it kind of fits in really well with some of the stuff you're talking about and some of the stuff you research as there's quite a bit of abusive behaviors and even intimate partner homicide in the show. So um, before we get into the exact research and talking about the show, what's your relationship like with the show? When did you start watching? What did you think of it? That kind of stuff. Yeah, so um, I started watching because Denzel recommended this show to me. He 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 was spot on, and he knew that I would love the show. So it took me a little bit to actually start watching it after he recommended it. But once I did, I feel like I just flew through and binge-watched the whole thing. I absolutely loved the show. Yeah, I watched it because of Denzel as well. So because you and Denzel liked it and um, wanted to do the podcast on it, I watched it also very quickly because I was getting behind on some other things. And I was just like, all right, it's like a week or two before we're going to record. I need to watch the show. So I knocked the show out <laughs> in about three days. It was a very intense experience. Luckily, I, I enjoyed the show. It was very interesting, but it was certainly very intense. Um, so Denzel, since you're the origin of us watching the show, how did you hear about it? When did you get into it? And what was kind of your relationship with the show? For sure. Uh, so I actually found out about it scrolling through Facebook one day, um, saw someone talking about it, just 
you know, very just generally said, you need to go watch the show you. And so I kind of, you know, what is it? And, you know, blah, 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 lottie daddy. They kind of told me what it was. And I was like, okay, well, whatever. I'll just go watch it. And I'll give it a show or, or two. Eric, you know how I am about TV. I'm a pretty, <laughs> pretty big critic and, and typically just sit things down. But it was one of those shows that uh, I started watching it. Episode one, maybe 15 minutes in, like I was hooked. And so yeah. I started watching it, watched my way through that. Season two came out and I actually see myself as one of the, one of the first people that actually jumped in and watched that, uh, that <laughs> season. As soon as it came out, like I was on it. So one of those shows is, is, is very entertaining for very, uh, interesting reasons. Yeah. It's certainly, um, I have trouble like with this, like back and forth between how much I enjoy the show and want to find out what's next and how much it creeps me out. Like I have trouble with like navigating those things sometimes. They do so many good, like, they have so many like gotcha moments where you think something's going to happen or they're playing up like something's going to happen. And um, sometimes it can get annoying with shows like that. There was a couple of times where I was like, um, they just kind of keep like playing up like something's going to happen just to get your heart rate up. And it's like, stop <laughs> messing with me show. I'm a human being. I can only handle so much. Um, but yeah, I really have enjoyed watching it and look forward to um, I'm assuming there's going to be a season three. I don't know if that's official or not yet, but it looks like they're building to that. I think it'd be it's hard official. to think that it wouldn't be. Is it I official? think I looked it up because I was so into okay. it after watching it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would be very upset if they didn't. Because I, I really want to see what happens next. And we'll get into that at the end, yeah. probably. But I'm very curious to see what happens next. If they didn't, talk so, about a cliffhanger. Yeah, right? <laughs> but anyways. I really, I'm just really excited. When I started watching, season two was already out because the cliffhanger on season one was so big with Candace showing back up. And I was like, okay, now I have to keep watching. If I had to wait a year, I would have been so upset. <laughs> I think I would have um, been too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's um, – And I was – <laughs> I bet you were. So let's talk about Joe, the main character. He's kind of like the um, the one we get the biggest insight into, and he's the only one who spans the entire both seasons of the show um, because he because of the circumstances he ends up moving. Um, what were your kind of first impressions of him? And as the things you were doing starting to escalate, what were you kind of making sense of him as a character? Yeah. So for me. I kind of struggled a little bit with the character, Joe, because we see him when it's escalating, but we see all of this abusive, violent, you know, negative, just bad behavior. Um, but, you know, there's also times where you find yourself rooting for him and, mm. you know, like, you know, oh, don't get caught. You know, you feel yourself kind of rooting for him, but you also know um, at the same time you shouldn't be. So I found that was such yeah. an interesting point of the show. And I felt that through both seasons where I'm like, I don't know why I find myself almost on like identifying with him and then knowing that I shouldn't. So I think they did that in a really brilliant yeah. way. I think that was a really good point too. And there's this part in season two where Candace, um, I think it was when she was confronting love or whatever. is just like, why does everyone not believe this with Joe Goldberg or I don't remember what she says, but she's like, why is this keep happening? And why does no one see him for who he is? And um, I think it's so interesting that that's, she's talking about people she's interact with, but I also think she's kind of talking to the audience watching, right? Like, cause we do kind of relate to him on a weird level and he's very charming and that's why other characters love him. And um, he definitely cares deeply about 
people and that's what kind of gets him into trouble. And, um, he does things for Paco and then for, um, oh, what's Ellie? Um, and he seems to have a genuine caring for them. It's not like he's doing it for his own gain. Um, and I think that is where a lot of us might have some dissonance in terms of how we see people who abuse or do abusive behaviors and how he acts in other contexts. Yeah, I think you just nailed it with everything you said is that 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 part where you said Candace is, you know, why doesn't anyone see him for who he is? And that is the whole the whole show as the audience member, you're you're rationalizing, you know, he's he cares about Paco. Those are some really endearing moments of the show. Um, but at the end of the day, he's still murdered and attempted to murder many people and and you almost forget that, which I think is so um can can mirror real life, you know, when someone is an abusive person, um, they might have outward qualities and qualities to other people who aren't the victim that are very positive. So it's hard to almost hold those two identities that someone may hold at the same time that yes, someone can do good things, but yes, they can still also be an, an abusive person as well. And I think that's pro- probably very true of people who are like very manipulative abusers, um, perpetrators, because in order to kind of like continue manipulating, you kind of have to keep up this kind of like facade of like um, good person for other people to see and to kind of, if they're in a relationship to keep the other person around, you still see the positives in them, even though they're doing these abusive things. So like the ability to kind of like maintain those two places, I think might be, you know, common and, uh, real life as well. I don't know if that's something that you were thinking as well, or do you think it might be a different experience from the show than in um, real life? No, I think you make a really good point about a lot of times abusers do have positive qualities that say, let's say it's a relationship. Um, there's something that's keeping that person wanting to be in the relationship. And I also think that, and I don't know necessarily if, well, I'm curious if you think maybe if you can think of some times where this was shown in the show, but people who are manipulative and um, wanting to kind of have power and control over someone else, they also seek out people who are really forgiving and really caring and people who want to see the best in someone. So they know if they can show that to someone, you know, those good sides, they know they'll keep being forgiven. You know, I think that's why they find each other, right. Is because they kind of fit in that way that kind of allows where someone who might be less forgiving might not stay in the relationship as long or might not ever even get to that point. But when these two piece puzzle pieces kind of find each other, it can kind of spell disaster. Exactly. So let's think about Joe too, in terms of his relationship. Let's, let's start with Beck. Um, so Beck was the love interest in season one. Um, and things definitely escalated pretty quickly um, uh, to murder by season 10. So I don't remember exactly how long they've been dating, but it, it wasn't a ton of time either. Um, so what could be some of the warning signs that Beck might've noticed um, that could have been helpful for kind of like preventing a situation like this? Yeah. So I think first I would like to, to mention that a lot of the warning signs Beck really wasn't aware of, you know, like if we think about it, we as the audience, we knew he was stalking her. We know that he had accessed her phone, which would all be warning signs. Um, but she also wasn't necessarily aware of that. But there were some things um, 
kind of the the jealousy, I would say, was a big one that she also saw, not quite as dramatically as the audience did, but the jealousy, um, you know, that's definitely a risk factor, especially jealousy related to um, other sexual partners. So jealousy related to, are you having sex with other people? Are you cheating on me? That's, that's definitely a risk factor for intimate partner homicide. Um, and then I also think, Although I don't know how much it actually worked, um, attempts to kind of isolate. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, technically, he also murdered uh, Benji and yeah. and Peach eventually. And in a way, that's isolating. You're you're removing people close to the victim. Um, granted, yeah, very extreme form of isolating. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, this is very extreme, but I would definitely say the isolation from like friends and family is another huge one. Um, or or yeah, even just trying to like turn you against your friends and family as well. Yeah, I was going to say that's a big one that I've read about in terms of like um, abuse and relationships that kind of like um, isolating a person from their friends and family. And he didn't do and they hadn't been I don't know if they've been dating long enough where he really could have like worked in, but he was definitely trying to do that in terms of um kind of talking about how Peach was just interested in her uh, romantically or sexually and again to what degree that was is not known because she died. Um uh but he kind of played that out and he also kind of um dismissed her friends. So some of that was in his inner monologue, right? Where he would talk about how much he didn't like her friends and how bad they were, but he also kind of like talked down to them and again, still trying to like isolate in a way. Um, the other thing I was thinking about was, what was I going to say? Well, I had one. one? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I had one more thought on that when you were talking, um, as kind of another sign to look out for. And I don't know if it's necessarily, a warning sign, but, but research does indicate that when someone attempts to leave an abusive relationship, that the risk for um, intimate partner homicide occurring actually increases significantly within the first three months of ending that relationship. So I, I kind of want to point out, and I actually think this, uh, you highlighted this very well is that it's so easy for people to say you need to just leave this person, break up with them if they're being abusive. Um, but in reality, it's not that simple because it actually can escalate the level of dangerousness. Um, and I think that shows in this show too, that when, when Beck said, I'm done, I'm leaving. I mean, that's when he murdered her. So yeah. what I was, and their first breakup was a, more of a ploy to get back with her than it was an actual ending, whereas the actual ending is when the murder occurred. Exactly. And so I guess what I would warn Beck about is um, to make sure when you, if you were, if she were to break up with Joe and not, not in the circumstances that she did, but she would need to be safe and make sure she was away from him, that she had somewhere to go because clearly we know how that turned out. So just, I think that's important, uh, an important message that I got from the show as well. Yeah. And then the other big warning sign. So one of the warning signs I thought of in terms of friends, and this is what part point I couldn't think of earlier was kind of related to him kind of like, he wasn't controlling completely, but there were times where he kind of like implied he knew what was best and, and she should follow in his, in what he says. 
and he didn't force her to do anything. But a lot of times he was kind of right when she would look back on it and it would kind of like steer her. And that's the other hard thing about this too. I'm kind of going off on another point is he was right about her cheating. Um, he was right about Candace cheating. Um, he was right in terms of her relationship with her dad or something. I don't remember exactly what that was, but that was like the first time I noticed him like saying, this is how you should be doing things. And those kinds of kind of like controlly type behaviors. And again, it didn't go to a forcing kind of way, but it definitely indicated that he was trying to mold her in a certain way. Um, Oh, go ahead. Do you have a comment? No, I was just going to agree that um, it was difficult, you know, in watching it because a lot of times like he was correct, you know, with Mm -hmm. like the cheating, especially he had a hunch. Um, And it almost seems like, Maybe for the audience and for him, of course, it justifies those controlling behaviors, right? Oh, I was, I was right. So, um, it definitely does for him, right? Like he definitely is like, okay, I was right with Candace, so I'm, I know when I'm getting, when I'm seeing these text messages from the Fox, I'm, which I'm assuming means Silver Fox, looking back on it, um, <laughs> he's like, I know what this is. This is cheating. Even though, like, when we were watching, maybe at the beginning, we might not have thought that. Exactly. Um, as the audience, we might not have thought that, but him being right kind of like throws a wrench in kind of like our schemas about TV, at least. Because like in a TV show, you'd normally think like the overly jealous person thinks the person's cheating and they're wrong just because they're overly jealous. Exactly. And he was still overly jealous. He just happened to be right. In this <laughs> exactly. I think that's such a great point. And, and I feel like, you know, if someone is cheating on you, you should end the relationship instead of trying to just gain more control. And then that's where his actions, because I, I, I obviously, if someone is cheating on you, you have every right to be upset about that. But um, the way he handled it was just to try to gain more power and control over Beck. Right. Because he was so obsessed and in love that he, the idea wasn't, I, I can't be okay on my own. I can't be okay if this relationship were to end or if I'm not with her. So I need to make sure that she doesn't stray. And that means asserting more control. Exactly. I think that allows you to see some kind of empathy with a person like Joe, who is in the situation where they feel um, insecure and kind of unstable. And when you seek stability in some way, controlling your surroundings is one way to feel more stable. It's just, when you do that with people, it's, not a good look, or to say the <laughs> least. Um, so you can kind of relate to him in the sense of like, man, he is, he feels very unstable, out of control, insecure. So like, I understand why a person in that situation would want to like take control. And you can take that, like, if you're thinking outside of a relationship, if someone's feeling unstable, they might try to take control of their um, schedule or take control of their diet or whatever the case might be. Like that is different than trying to take control of your relationship and controlling over another person. I think you nailed it. I, I mean, that, that you described that perfectly that we, I think we can all empathize or, you know, have some understanding of that at some level. But then of course he takes it to the next level, the extreme, yeah. obviously. <laughs> next couple of levels, really. <laughs> uh, and one other um, warning sign that we forgot to mention before we move on from warning signs. And this is a biggie. He followed her twice. Like he got caught following her twice. 
You're right. You're right. He, he did get caught at the, um, at the literary thing with the captain, which, by the way, that was another one of the fake outs where you're like, oh, she's got a sugar daddy. <laughs> and it turns out to be her actual daddy. And I was like, oh, I didn't I actually did not see that coming. I didn't see um, that one coming either. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like the show just totally faking you out. Um, but then at the other time where she was going to meet um, the fox, he followed her as well. And that was the time where they kind of like broke up originally. Yeah. Um, so I, I have a really good, you're right. I think the fact that she, he, she did, he got caught in the act and <laughs> she almost downplayed it, you know, when he would make excuses, she would just be like, Oh, okay. That makes enough sense. And I think the warning sign there is trusting your gut, you know, and trusting your instincts. If it seems mm -hmm. weird, even if someone seems to have a logical explanation, I think it's necessary to trust in yourself. And I, I believe a lot of people um, are kind of taught and maybe, maybe women especially are taught to kind of like, Oh, you're being dramatic, you know, almost not to listen to their instincts. So it's really combating that a lot, just a lot with my clinical work Um you know, I work with a lot of victims. It's, it's, you know, they've been socialized since a young girl to, oh, be nice. Just trust, you know, trust people and don't cause problems. Don't be dramatic to where it can lead to um, almost not trusting yourself and your instincts and saying, oh, okay, I'm just, I'm, I'm being over the top or I'm being dramatic or I'm being untrusting. But that piece on trusting your instincts of someone's behavior seems odd or weird to, to trust that. Yeah. And I would even say that the first time at the literary thing, um, she was almost charmed by it. Yes. Yeah. And I think that sweet. kind of plays. Yeah. I think that plays into something that the show does a good job of kind of like playing off of is like romantic comedy type tropes. So in episode one, when he gets caught in her shower, so he's like in her house snooping and then like hides in her shower and she turns the shower on which is like, and I was like, they can't let him get caught this early. It would be a terrible show. It'd be the end of the show. Yeah. If that was the case. Um, but he, he says some, he says something in his inner monologue while he's in the shower. He's like, I've seen enough rom-coms to know that guys like me are always getting in jams like this. And I was like, no, guys like that are not getting caught in a person's shower from the, when they were stalking them. That's not something that happens. But it's this idea of like, he's so played out in this, um, idea of what love is and this kind of idealistic view of love that it plays out. And then she is like, Beck is definitely a play on like the manic pixie dream girl, right? Like this idea of this kind of like, um, she's a writer, she's kind of quirky, she's a mess, whatever. <laughs> um, and that kind of like plays up, but in the real world, like, and I don't, I I'm using this word because it was her word, but she really was a mess. She had a lot going on. She had a lot of stuff that was going on. And that's not just something that goes away in a relationship. And that's not something that's just kind of like, um, it's not just like quirkiness and it's not just like whatever she was having stuff that she was going through, which was amplified by losing her best friend and, um, a lot of other, and being sexually harassed by her, um, uh, mentor and instructor. Like there was a lot of stuff going on for her, um, that I think in a rom-com would be like, Oh, mess kind of like, Oh, she's just kind of all over the place. 
Um, but in reality, like this was really what it looks like when someone's struggling through something and, um, yeah, I don't want to go too much. I don't, I have other, I have other thoughts, but I'm going to save them for later. Chelsea, what are you thinking as I'm kind of, as I brought that part up? Yeah, no, I think that's actually a really, you make a lot of really good points when, when you mention that as a one, a lot of it's like, Oh, this is romance again. Like when he shows up at that, um, literary fair and, in reality, you know, it's like a twisted romantic, like, oh, I followed you because I wanted to surprise you. And in reality, that's just very odd behavior. And, and it's not romantic to stalk someone's social media and find out where they went for the weekend. I mean, it was it was really, um, you know, his his excuse for it was over the top. But again, like you said, it seems like it's romantic. Um, in her eyes almost that he, he did that for her. And then the, the trope of, oh, she's kind of a mess and she's kind of quirky. And, um, that's definitely, and it's almost like Joe buys into that a little bit of that's mm-hmm. like what romance is. And then I can fix them and, yeah, and I can protect them. Yes. And that was, I mean, that's why he murdered multiple people was in his mind to protect her. Um, which, he didn't obviously do, but it was like a very warped sense of romance. And I think that's a, I think people can fall into that, especially um, young people and people who haven't had good, you know, other experiences of a healthy relationship in their lives. You know, this kind of warped sense of romance can easily look like a healthy relationship if you're not necessarily aware of what a healthy relationship looks like. Yeah, and this is why in other episodes that I'm always banging the drum for like not doing like for couples that aren't the big passionate romantic and that's all you see because sometimes that comes with all these other things. And it does not necessarily saying that like because they're this other couple in TV or movies is so passionate and romantic and that's all they're about doesn't mean there's abuse there, but it definitely kind of like clouds some of that. And I want to read a quote that I wrote down because it was so um, – important to me as I was watching it. But Joe said something in his inner monologue. No, it wasn't inner monologue. It was Topako. He said, the most valuable things in life are usually the most helpless. So they need people like us to protect them. And that is something that on its face seems good, right? Like he wants to protect things that need help. But it also plays into this level of like misogyny, chivalry type thing where it was his duty to kind of protect her, but in a way that was um, controlling her as well. Mm-hmm. It was again, that warped sense of it. Cause it, yeah, it's good to help, help people um, <laughs> that, that might need help. I mean, we all like to do that, but this warped sense of it that, well, and also he didn't view, you know, just using that quote as someone who just maybe needs help, needs support. It was helpless. And that also kind yeah. of changes the way you, you view someone as well. If someone's helpless, then you have to do everything. Yeah. And it's this kind of like equating two things like this helplessness and goodness, which aren't necessarily interrelated, right? That's not something that is necessarily interrelated, but that pairing that he has in his head is kind of like playing it out. And again, in his mind, it's manic pixie dream girl mess that he needs to do but really it's these other deep-seated stuff that's going on that you can't like just go in and wave a magic wand and fix like there's stuff that like you have to just kind of like be supportive and not necessarily be controlling or try to protect 
like it, it really is just kind of like, I don't know, being, being a person and being there for someone. Exactly. And that goes to the scene when Beck had Joe locked in the, the book container, the cage, um, mm. you know, when she had, and she was yelling at him and she was like, I, I don't remember the quote exactly, but something along was like, yes, I'm a master. My life's a mess, but it's my mess. And I'm the mm. one who needs to fix it. Um, which I thought was like such a good point. It's just this whole time he's like, I'm going to fix yeah. you, fix you, fix you. And you can't just do that. <laughs> he took it on as his job to like give her this perfect life. And that's not necessarily you for him to think that he knows best what's for her is really the biggest issue with that. Right. Exactly. Um, because for him, what's best for her is actually what's best for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't see it that way, but that's very much how it is. Yeah, because, you know, like, Peach was getting in the way of their relationship, so then that twist, Peach is bad for Beck, you know? So there's, again, a lot of those warped um, thoughts and principles going on where um, you can see where they came from, you know, because maybe Peach isn't the best friend, but, again, it goes way too far with all of the thoughts. Yeah, and I want to – this made me think of something else and I don't know exactly how to talk about it. So I'm going to kind of throw it out there and we'll figure it out. Um, but so Joe talked about chivalry being really important and we don't have to get into like the is chivalry good thing. Cause I feel like that can get really antiquated, but um, he also was putting Beck on a pedestal in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that's another one of those things that might be seen as good in some ways or might be like played up in um, rom-coms or whatever. But it certainly played out in a way that was when something was actually wrong for her, when she was struggling, or like he didn't see that as um, it's no longer a fun mess. It's like there's something wrong with you. And he, I'm thinking specifically about like, when Benji told the story about like the red ladle or red spatula or whatever it was. Um, and he like very much looked down on her for that and kind of was basically saying like, he, he has this view of her of being like so good and perfect that when something like this comes up and messes with that, it makes him mad at her as opposed to just kind of like understanding that people have stuff going on. Yeah. Oh, I think that is a great point to bring up in the show. I think, um, yeah, he does. When you put someone up on a pedestal, especially as high of a pedestal as uh, Joe did, there's no way for anyone to live up for that. And they're always going to let you down because no one exactly. is perfect. And then so it was almost, again, if we think about abuse and using all of any flaw that someone has, even though we know every single individual has flaws and no one's perfect, um, it's almost using that as an excuse. Um, it could be an excuse to abuse, but even in his mind, like, degrade her a little bit um, mm-hmm. or look down on her. And yeah. it's, it's of no fault of her own because she, I thought she was pretty open about, you know, her life was not perfect when she first met him. Um, yeah, then she he, was. I mean, it was very obvious the first time they actually met after the bookstore, she was really drunk and fell in front of a subway. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that could be an indication that this person's struggling a bit. But instead, he just still put her on that pedestal. And every time she, quote unquote, like, let him down, um, again, that was an excuse to control more, 
look down on her more. So yeah, I think that's, that's a great point to bring up. Yeah. And I just think that's something that uh, gets played out kind of again and again with Beck. And I do think he tried to make some strides with it. So I don't remember, uh, but he finally kind of like took a, like a step back um, around the breakup um, right, right before the, and, he, and he was kind of like, okay, like this isn't working. I got to give her space. And he did say like, give her space to like grieve and let her go to the therapist, which I think sometimes a very controlling person wouldn't be um, on board with. And I mean, it didn't turn out well, but we can get to that in a minute. Um, so I think he did try to kind of like make changes. And I think that's one of the reasons why we kind of relate to him, right? It's like, he does want to change and doesn't know how sometimes. That's a really good point because there were, there was a time where he gave her space and he was dating another woman. Um, yeah. I can't remember what her name is at the moment, but, um, Erin Minty. What was it? I remember her last name is Minty. I think her first name is Karen. Karen. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, it, maybe it doesn't matter, but, um, with Karen. And so it's like, like you said, it's like he tried. And as an audience, you were like, Hey, he's, he, he realized that he made a mistake. Again, we, um, as the audience, I think we always try to be very forgiving, um, people, but especially as the audience, cause again, we're seeing everything through his eyes. We're thinking maybe he's changed. He's at least recognizing he, he had gone about things the wrong way. So again, as the audience, I'm sure many people were kind of rooting for him. Um, but then obviously that didn't last long. <laughs> yeah. Let's. So I want to talk about the therapist stuff, but let's talk about his relationship with Karen for just a moment. Okay. Because what do you think the difference was? And um, Denzel, you can jump in or I can jump in and tell see if you're not sure if you have a good answer. What do you think the difference was between his relationship with Karen and um, Beck where he didn't get obsessive with Karen and didn't get weird and following her and all that stuff? So my first thought, I, I think it was because she was good for him. I thought Karen was like a great person. She was sweet. She was normal. She wasn't all, you know, not trying to blame back or anything, but she wasn't a good girlfriend. You know, she, she cheated on him. She would um, flake on him. She, she would do a lot of things that were very hurtful to him, but then Karen never did any of that. It seemed to me like Karen was very consistent and stable and she was like, um, you know, not doing things that would hurt him or, and and maybe that's for some people that seems boring. Yeah. And I just think he was still obsessed with back the entire time. I think it was just like a placeholder for him. It like wasn't something he was that interested in. I was trying to figure out why or what that was. And I don't know if it was like, I don't think it was to get back back, but um, I just don't think he was ever interested because she, Karen kind of initiated um, from the beginning and he didn't get to do like the chase part, right? He didn't get to exactly. like obsess over her for a while. And then what well, the chase wasn't there, he was just kind of like going through. He just never seemed that emotionally engaged with Karen. Well, and I think you mentioned it earlier in the podcast where um, that trope of this romantic comedy where love has to sometimes be passionate and tough and um, dramatic and have a lot of ups and downs emotionally um, to be a, an exciting romantic partner. And he, Karen didn't give that to him, right? There wasn't ups and downs. It was, I mean, I just remember the scene where they'd be like watching TV and he, it would be something he wouldn't necessarily watch, but then he just kind of thinks of her as kind of boring is kind of what I got from it. What do you think? Yeah. Cause I think if Beck had watched King of Queens, that would have been like a huge slight, right? Like he would have been like so upset that, that 
this person he has this on this pedestal is watching the show, but Karen watched it. He was like, eh, because he didn't exactly. really care. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was a very interesting dynamic, and I, yeah, I was very surprised by that. But let's just—I have a brief thing to talk about as a therapist. <laughs> can we can we stop with the therapist having sex with their clients storylines? <laughs> I'm so tired of that. It's so it's such a messed up thing, and it's such a violation of a person, especially a person who is very vulnerable in terms of like coming to you for help with all these things that have gone on for her in her life. And she had just been sexually harassed by her advisor, which like threatened her career. And she has like, I, I, you know what, I, this guy, this this therapist, I just. And there's that scene at the end or in season two where he's like, oh, I deserve this, but like, I'm not going to do anything, but do something about like, make up for all your mistakes. Don't just say like, I'm just going to serve my time, even though I I can't stand that character. (laughs) I was very upset by this. I don't know if you guys have reactions or you want to share, but I just, I could not, I could not. Uh, Yeah, obviously as a, as a therapist, um, seeing those like, cause that's not, this isn't the first show that has that trope of like someone right. sleeping with their therapist and, and that's highly illegal and it's so wrong on so many levels. And, um, I mean, obviously I'm sure it's happened, but that that's not something that happens often. I mean, that's like the and number one, it's the number one thing that like you just don't do. <laughs> so it's so predatory and it it's is. so messed up and I just, I just so tired of it. And, um, I've, yes, I've even had this, just <laughs> how much of a violation that is to what you all are already saying to the point to where like within our MFT guideline, our marriage and family therapy guideline specifically says something about having relationship with former clients, which has to be terminated, um, officially terminated from that therapeutic relationship. Like after two years where you can have any kind of outside contact with people. And even then, like at least in all the training programs I've been through have said, yeah, like this is the guideline and like you probably just shouldn't do it anyways. Like the number one thing is don't have sex with your clients. (laughs) And so I just say that to say that it's in the guideline and you still shouldn't. it's It's probably a good idea not to go that route let alone to be in a therapeutic relationship and still it's doing ter- it. It's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's nasty. It's terrible. It's predatory and it's bad. And it's very frustrating to, um, cause I think like as much as, um, Beck had stuff going on, I still cheered for her too. Like I wanted her to like overcome and not get murdered. And <laughs> Joe, mostly. And not get but, you know, I knew that wasn't what I was going to like, <laughs> When she flakes on her birthday party to be with a therapist, that was so messed up. And then she is kind of abusive. And I, Chelsea, I'll let you talk about this in terms of like really gaslighting Joe afterwards. So I don't know if you want to just explain what gaslighting means or explain how her behaviors are also kind of abusive or uh, go ahead and I'll let you talk about it. Yeah. No, thank you for bringing that up. That was something that, um, I noticed, you know, throughout, like throughout the show is that obviously Joe is the perpetrator. He's the abuser. He, he murders Beck, right? So we're not, um, you know, victim blaming Beck or at all, but, but if you're just watching her behaviors, um, 
there there are times where she is emotionally abusive towards Joe as well. And the best example is um, after the birthday party, you know, and, and he asks her about it. Are you sleeping with your therapist? And she gaslights, gaslights him, as um, Eric mentioned. And she makes him feel like he's crazy for even thinking that. And that um, there's something wrong with him for even thinking that she would be having sex with her therapist and puts all of the blame on his suspicions. Because I remember when he brought that up, it wasn't in, if I remember correctly, it wasn't in a totally negative way. He just asks her. And Mm -hmm. if you have a feeling that your partner is cheating on you, you have every right to say, hey, is something going on here? And we find out later that there was something going on. Um, but she makes him feel like every it's his fault. He's crazy. He's insecure, blaming everything on him and making his reality seem false or um, there's problems with him as a human being for even thinking that um, when in reality it was true the whole time. Um, I mean, that's completely emotionally abusive and, if someone is doing that to a partner, I we, we call it gaslighting, but I would also just say that's emotional abuse because you're changing someone's sense of reality in a way that makes them doubt themselves and feel bad about themselves. Yeah, and just because she was right that there was something wrong with him doesn't make it right for her to have done that. Exactly. Right? So that's it's a good just thing in the same way that just because Joe was right doesn't mean his actions were right. Just because you know, Beck really did see that he was kind of like being too controlling and too jealous. Doesn't mean the way she handled it was right. That's, that's so a good she point. could have done it so many different ways, even just kind of like acknowledging like, Hey, I know that I've been weird lately because I've been grieving my dead friend. Um, uh, so I understand where you might be coming from, but this is what's going on for me or whatever. Like that is a more appropriate reaction, although it's still a lie. So again, that's kind of the issue with this. It's a better <laughs> it's like, option hmm. saying like either breaking it off or telling the truth or whatever the case is. But like in if this if she wasn't cheating in the situation, if she still reacted in that way, that still would have been negative. So having to like trying to work towards understanding, or even just like if it, the jealousy is too much, like maybe looking towards trying to figure out what to do with that, uh, maybe in breaking up or having a longer discussion about that, but. The way she handled it, yeah, was not appropriate and was emotionally abusive. And so uh, I know we used the term gaslighting there for those viewers who may not know what that means. I don't know if either of you would just like to share a, a quick definition or an example of what gaslighting is. Um, I'll give my best definition off the top of my head, but I and feel free to jump in because I guess I think that is a term that's used pretty loosely. Um, but I, I guess my definition of gaslighting would be, um, again, making someone question their own reality and their own thoughts and emotions and feelings, um, kind of through manipulation and, and it's kind of making someone's, it's invalidating their experiences to the point where it's causing significant distress. I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) That was, yeah. I think that's spot on. I think the the piece that you really included is the big piece is that manipulation piece. Yeah. So there's, in, there's intentionality behind it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest part because it could just be, you know, it's not just like, 
oh, I thought you had a meatball sub that day at lunch. It's not like cha- trying to change their reality in the sense of like, no, I think you had this to eat. But like, it's the mm-hmm. intentional manipulation of like, I need to make you feel like you're crazy for thinking that because I need to control the situation. I don't want you to think that. So I want to make you feel crazy for thinking it. That's mm-hmm. a good point. I want to make you feel crazy. So then you don't challenge me again as well. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. So I guess we should start getting into, um, well, let me, let me go back just for a moment. Is there anything related specifically to Joe and Beck that we haven't talked about? Um, cause I was thinking about starting to talk more about like his relationship with love and more general stuff as well. Um, I don't know if this fits here or not, but uh, I just thought it'd be important to bring up because it kind of goes for both seasons, I guess, but I, yeah. I think it's highlighted more in season one because we are in season one, we're learning what Joe is capable of. And then by season two, we kind of, we kind of know um, the kind of person yeah. he is and what he's, you know, what his capabilities are. Um, but season one, we like learn more and more and it gets worse and worse. Cause if you think about episode one, um, it's problematic, but you know, I don't think he had murdered anyone by the first episode. Maybe not yet, not yet. <laughs> so it, it just, it escalates. And, um, I think the point is that for anybody, Joe is not someone that you would look at if you were, you know, met him or you had mutual friends with him. He's not someone that you would meet and just instantly think, I bet this person is an abuser or someone who's capable of, intimate partner homicide um real quick yes real quick except for that paco's stepdad and that annoyed me also that he just had this innate way of seeing that i didn't like that either so anyway i didn't i didn't think that was very accurate that someone would have that inept ability to do it just because he was a probation officer i agree i agree i actually didn't like that character (laughs) oh he's a terrible person yeah so like i except for him which i feel like you're right is unrealistic um but I also got the feeling that he thought Joe was like a child abuser, which would be inaccurate as well. So he, he felt something was off maybe, but I think his, um, his suspicions were inaccurate because, um, but, but for most people, I think a lot of people have this very stereotypical view of what an abuser would look like. And, a lot of times that's not what an abuser looks like. Um, in fact, in 2018, I published a meta-analysis on risk factors for male perpetration and female victimization of intimate partner homicide. And it's, I thought one of the most fascinating results were that a lot of the male perpetrator, their demographic information were not significant. Um, so for example, having a prior criminal history, so having a previous arrest, um, and being violent towards non-family members. So having a history of being violent and, um, also the length of the relationship, whether or not they were married, um, things like that. So like these kind of perpetrator factors, like based on the the relationship or their history, they weren't significant. So we can't really have this image in our head of who would be likely to do something like this. When in reality, it it just, it can be anybody. It can be someone who's dated someone for a month or they've been married for 50 years, or it can be someone with, you know, who's been arrested 10 times, but it could also have 
never had a parking ticket. So to have this stereotype of who would be capable of abuse, um, or if someone tells you, Hey, this, this person is abusing me and you think, no way, not Joe. Are you serious? Like he, he's a great job. He's so nice. He volunteers. Um, we just can't stereotype who or who is not um, capable of committing violence or in this case, homicide. I think that's really important to point out. Yeah. And I know in terms of um, there was kind of a profile done for um, individuals who commit some kind of sexual violence. And one of the things that met this profile was that they are generally received as pretty strong, like, like pretty well by other people. They're kind of seen as incapable of being able to do something like that, um, which like helps them in terms of like getting away with things. Exactly. Cause it makes the, the victim seem less believable, right? Cause if other people right. like them, it's like, Oh, he's so nice to me. Um, Abusers are often nice to other people, just not the person they're abusing. Right. And another thing I wanted to bring up too, and I, I don't, this might be a warning sign based on some things I've read or heard before, but it might just be kind of, again, it's kind of playing into that romantic comedy juxtaposition here. It's just like how intense the relationship is from the beginning. Um, Joe and Beck, I don't think date super long. I have to go back and look. I don't think they date for a super long time because there's a three-month period where they're not together in the middle. But just the intensity of the relationship and they're living together and um, how much he – and he tries to hide it a little bit how much he is into her, but he doesn't hide it completely either. And I think that intensity can be very attractive, right? It's like someone wants you a lot. That's kind of nice. Um, But when it goes to an extreme, it can be really dangerous as well. That's a really good point. And it's often difficult to differentiate that, you know, like, oh, it's exciting. It's new. We're really into each other to where the point it's, I mean, in his, it was obsessive. And it's really yeah. hard to know if someone's into you or obsessed with you um, when you're first dating. Yeah. And I think the, um, the best, I don't know if advice is, but like taking those like decision, like big relationship decisions slowly. Uh, even if like the feelings are really intense one, because sometimes those feelings cloud your judgment and two, because like for some people like that's like the more invested you are in the relationship or the more decisions you make down that road that they're kind of using that to kind of like push you along that way. And it might be because they feel that strongly, but it also could be a power and control thing too. Right. Absolutely. And I think if we're talking about um, individuals who are potentially abusive, especially those who um, are, are manipulative and, purposeful in their abuse. Um, I think a lot of people can be on their best behavior for the beginning of a relationship. It's really easy to, to be on your best behavior. So it takes time to get to know someone. Um, because I, you can be a pretty bad person, but act pretty decent at first. So it's always, I, I think making big relationship decisions slowly and taking time to get to know somebody because, you know, People, especially a manipulate manipulative people, I mean that's kind of the definition. They can be manipulative, and mm-hmm. it'll take a while to see past that. Yeah, and I think there is one scene where doesn't Joe say something like really early on about the rest of his life with her or something like with Beck, and she laughs it off as a joke. I don't that remember happened? that scene, but I mean, I'm Maybe sure. 
I maybe it didn't happen, but I kind of remember him saying like saying something and out loud, and then saying too soon, and that person took us. Maybe it was with love. I don't remember. Uh, but speaking of people who might act a certain way for a while, and then you see their true colors. Let's talk about love. A uh, perfect segue. Um, a character, <laughs> not the uh, not the feeling. Um, first off, uh, Chelsea and I had this conversation off uh, of um, recording, but let's do it again. Um, so you saw this coming with love, her big reveal. I did as well, but I gave up on it in the middle. So I'll let you talk about it first, then I'll talk about my experience. So what was kind of like your reaction to love when you first met her and um, you seeing it coming kind of? I so I saw it coming like straight away. At first when they met in the grocery store, I didn't think that. But when she was that first night where she takes them to all like the food trucks and they're eating, I knew immediately. I'm like, she's going to be as obsessed with him because she's trying to – She's coming across as almost too good to be true. You know, this like cute, fun girl and she's exciting and adventurous and she's, she's a chef who doesn't love that. Um, and then, so I, I'm like, there's something, there's going to be something with her. And then yeah. when I first heard about her, her having, um, she was a widow. Um, I knew it. I was just like, she's going to be, I thought maybe she would end up killing Joe, but, um, that obviously I didn't thought she had killed her husband. I thought she had killed her ex-husband. For oh, a while. I totally did. She totally did. I, I mean, I don't think still sick though, right? Like that was a storyline they showed in the flashbacks that he was sick and he didn't tell her for a while. And I, I, I guess I was just assuming she was poisoning him oh. with her food. <laughs> that's what I was assuming. Oh my god. Maybe I mean Maybe I don't think I've never word. said that. Know. Maybe you're just a real pessimist, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I got I was under the impression because um, he wasn't totally on board about having a baby, so I thought I figured she decided to poison him. Denzel, am I wrong? Did you think that at all, or is this just me? <laughs> I mean, I didn't think that, but I also had a lot of counter transference going on with that character anyway. So, <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. Well. Uh, so to me, and I don't know how many other people would agree with this, just the character looked like Lizzie McGuire with really big ears. So like when I saw Love, <laughs> okay. I saw Lizzie McGuire, so I didn't want to believe that uh, that this person could be could be bad in any way. So there was throughout the whole. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, into the last two episodes or so, I was pretty uh <laughs> pretty blinded by a lot of the <laughs> a lot wow. of the warning signs that were clearly there, but you know. That's why uh, because she looked like that wasn't that what I was expecting you to say. Like if you gave me ten guesses, I wouldn't have came even close. <laughs> I'm sure you probably would. Have. But if I, I guarantee, if you pull up a picture right now and you look at it, you're like, oh, I see it. But but yeah. So I, I, long story short, I didn't think that Chelsea. But as you say it, like uh, I, I mean, I could hang my hat on that being a, a, a pretty accurate assumption, a hypothesis at the very least. So. Well, yeah. see, I I study this, so it's always in my head. You know, I'm, I'm that's I'm, I'm the lens. I'm not looking through Lizzie McGuire lens. I'm thinking I think there's something something up with love. Um, I found her suspicious from the get go, and I knew yeah, the whole time <laughs> that was part of the her getting so intense so quickly and like hanging out with him that quickly and being like intense emotionally like that quickly was to me a warning sign. And then the boundaries. She didn't have a lot of boundaries with Joe, but she also didn't have a lot of boundaries with her brother either. None. And that was something that I found kind of not quite disturbing. And I kind of understood from like a, um, a family and addictions kind of way that maybe that is why. But it was definitely to the point where she 
had that kind of protectiveness that Joe talked about, but for her brother, 40. And that kind of rubbed me the wrong way when I found out her husband died. I was like suspicious of that. And I can't remember, but there was something else that I was like really suspicious of with her. Uh, and some of the family stuff I think was tough, like her talking about that. And then, uh, and then I gave up on it. And then I was like, oh, it's not the case. Like, especially when they started to play up more of like Joe doing things, I started to not think less about love in that way. Mm-hmm. And then when she started dating the other guy, I was like, oh, definitely not. She's just, then I just thought she was like one of those people who just gets really into relationships really fast or kind of whatever, not thinking that she was doing it in a manipulative way. Uh, but Joe kind of called that too, because Joe was looking out his um, telescope and watching her and she put the shades down and he took that as a signal. So like he kind of knew that she was doing that. And I don't know, there was a lot of interestingness going on there. Yeah. It was kind of not quite. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I gave up on it and then I came back to, and then at the, at the point, like before it was like revealed, revealed, when she like saw, um, and I can't remember the, Ellie's mom's name or Ellie's sister's name. I can't remember her sister's name. When she saw her dead and wasn't like reacting uh, before that, I was kind of suspicious again. But um, I definitely kind of gave up on it at one point in the middle. But I still like took credit. I was like, I called it, even though I kind of gave up on it at one point. <laughs> yeah, I um, to me it was. I, I thought it was such an interesting twist of the show. I kind of loved that instead of kind of just doing the same thing as season one where he's the perpetrator, the, um, that it was someone who's kind of his equal. And I actually thought she was going to end up killing Joe, but, um, totally, totally opposite ending from what I thought (laughs) or trying. I was was starting to get really upset when they were talking, when it seemed like Joe had made this like complete 360, right? Like, it seemed like he was like going to be like a changed person at one point. And I was like, no one changes that fast. That's ridiculous. And then we find out he didn't. So I was like, okay. Cause like sometimes like you can have thoughts about like, I want to change who I am. Like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come clean and all this stuff. And it doesn't take much to push them back into who they are. Um, so it's- like that was fine. But with the way TV works, I thought they were just going to make him completely change. Uh, but it was really interesting that as soon as he started to find this out about love, he wasn't interested anymore. Yeah, that was that was so interesting. That. I have some thoughts, but I want to know what you have to say about that. I think, um, hmm, I think it probably goes a little bit to what you mentioned earlier about how he puts women on pedestals, right? He did yeah. that with love, and then to find out that she's just as—I um, don't really like the word damaged, but like she has a tough history, a background of murdering people. Um, she's done the same things as him that almost like made her, him like want to push her away. That's like, um, again, that's jumping off the pedestal he had of her, um, saying, right. yes, I, cause she, she murdered her, her brother's like, ba- you know, babysitter, you know, when, when they were children and, and then, um, I'm going to still say the husband, even though we don't have that confirmed. And then uh, (laughs) Ellie's older sister. And the fact that she also didn't care about what Joe had done. um, I think that makes her a very real vulnerable person who is almost his equal. And I don't think he he liked that too much. He wants someone on a pedestal. Someone on a pedestal. He wants someone he can chase, and when he found out she was chasing him, that changes it, right? 
Totally. Like, it was no longer him being the one that kind of like chased and got what he was chasing after. It was, she was chasing him too. And again, I think the violence thing is another big part of it. And taking Ellie's mo- or sister away, I think was a big part of it. And the way he said it like that. And I think there's some, she was kind of framing it as like, she found out about Joe, but there was definitely some jealousy there too, after he had slept with her. Like, I, I can't imagine that didn't play a role. Oh, a hundred percent. And, um, I was going to say something about the pedestal as well, but yeah, just the fact that he had had this view of her and all of a sudden this view was gone um, because he had had her on the pedestal. It definitely changed how he interacted with her. And obviously the baby thing changed things too in the end where now he's kind of like on board, uh, but you don't know how much he's on board until you see him looking at the neighbor and then you find out, okay, so he's not on board. So I I read um, some fan theories about okay. season three, and I almost hope this one is true because I think it would be really fascinating. And again, just how season one and season two differed so much, um, I guess one of the fan theories was potentially that the lady that he's looking um, through the fence at is like his mom. Um like could be his mom. And so he might, cause she wouldn't, you know, cause oh, she got taken God. away and, and doesn't know what happened to her. Um, how realistic is that? I don't know, but I think it would be really interesting. It would be a, like, a pretty interesting in her because of the reading and stuff like that. He was like, Oh, you're reading this. That means you're like, I think you, I think I don't know if I necessarily it would seem creepy it, is like, what you're saying. <laughs> that was yeah, his was, mom. <laughs> But they do like to do freakouts, or not freakouts, fakeouts, not freakouts. They do like to do fakeouts, so that might be what's they, going on. But they do those too. I actually, <laughs> that's true. Too. Uh, I was actually thinking that it was going to be an interesting, like him trying to navigate this role as father slash partner and his obsessions, and leading to um, him and love and kind of a power control struggle of some kind. Um, and seeing what that looks like when it's more relationship. Cause for the most part, him and Beck were still in kind of the honeymoonish phase and same with him and love. They never really got into like a, okay, now we're in a relationship day to day stuff. Um, and when it started to get there with him and Beck, that's when she was cheating and that's when his jealousy and stuff started to come out. And then when they got back together, when they got back into that phase, she immediately found the box. So we never got to see what he was like in kind of like a, okay, I know this is a long committed relationship. The chase isn't there. What am I like? Oh. And I think this could be a good figuring out what that is. Cause it would probably play out very similarly in terms of like him being trying to control love in a way that allows him to still do other things or whatever the case is. Okay. That would be interesting. No, that would be very interesting as well. And then also seeing, how love tries to control him because again, they're, you know, kind of cut from the same cloth. So yeah, I think it would be really interesting dynamics between the two of them because we know they're both capable of murder and we know they both know each other's secrets. So there's almost like could be some blackmail kind of controlling behaviors as well. There's, there's a lot of potential to see how that would play out. Yeah. I'm excited to see where it goes. And I, Based on the way they did season two, I think they did it, are going to do a good enough job of making it different enough while still like the same themes. Exactly. All right. Is there anything we haven't hit yet? 
Is there anything that, you know what? I did have one question that I wanted to ask and we kind of talked about jealousy already, but I did want to kind of like pose a question for kind of all three of us really in terms of like what jealousy is normative and what can be dangerous. Cause jealousy does occur in relationships. It is kind of like a natural feeling that some people have, um, but what would be kind of like where it would cross into dangerous? So if you're listening at home um, and you might be wondering this question, what would you tell someone in terms of advice in terms of like where that line is? That's a great question because there is kind of a fine line because you're right. Everyone experiences jealousy sometimes and it can. Um, oh, I'm going to be curious what your answers are, but my thought is, I think the important thing is how it's dealt with. I think if someone is feeling jealous, you know, their intimate partner is doing something that is making them feel jealous. And I think if, if just like a, a healthy conversation happens, you know, where like, Hey, this is happening. This is kind of making me feel um, insecure or, you know, I'm just curious about what you're doing. I just am getting a bad feeling and maybe, um, you know, just to want to have a conversation about it, I think is the, is maybe normative jealousy because it's just getting on the same foot, um, and just kind of getting an understanding of what, what's actually happening in the situation. And then I think where it gets to a point where it's dangerous is when it comes, becomes like monitoring and controlling and saying, I don't want you doing this. I don't want you doing that. And to where it's like, you're putting regulations on someone else's behaviors. Um, rather than just having a conversation and discussing it where it becomes, or like, obviously like stalking or, um, you know, putting trackers on the phone. That's obviously to the point where it's getting problematic. Um, or, you know, uh, I mean, I guess that's my answer. It's really more of the way it's handled. And then I would also say how often it's occurring. If um, it's like constant, then that would be an issue. And then I would just, I would also say it depends on the dynamic. I think if someone's often, say if someone is having an affair and the partner who is being cheated, cheated on is saying, hey, I'm suspicious, I'm suspicious. Well, if they have something to be suspicious about, I don't know if that's necessarily dangerous jealousy either. It could be the fact that, you know, there is something wrong too. I think it's very, yeah, it's very situation dependent. I think, I don't know. I'm curious what you all think. Yeah. I yeah, think I part of it's like, a. Oh, I was going to say, I don't think I really have much of a different answer, or I guess, response than what Chelsea was saying, but more so just kind of a, little pieces of information to put in between a lot of different things Chelsea was saying and uh, just starting out thinking about jealousy and like what that is and what it means. It's important to know and understand that jealousy is an emotion. So like jealousy as an emotion is neither right nor wrong, but like Chelsea was saying, like the behavior and how you choose to react based off that emotion is what can, can either be handled in a healthy way or in a very detrimental, destructive, manipulative type of way. And so first, just being aware and acknowledging what that is for you and, and knowing that when the jealousy comes up and being able to, to sit with that and understand or at least sit with it and become familiar with, with it, with what it is. Um, and I think in having, as Chelsea was saying, being able to, to have those conversations, um, you know, we don't have time to, to get into like what a healthy conversation looks like and having I statements and like all that fun stuff. Um 
but I, I will say it's important to to understand like your own positionality within a couple relationship and kind of like those dynamics that go into it and being aware of like what are your natural responses to being elevated emotionally again jealousy is emotion so with that our prefrontal cortex which controls our like logic decision making can become very flooded by something um such as jealousy so knowing and being aware and understanding of what that is going into that um and also just the last point in thinking about jealousy in the sense of what's uh what can be destructive versus what is normative and thinking about um let's see try not to lose the point because it was a really good point that i had um with jealousy in the sense of i'm gonna have to come back to it because i can't remember it (laughs) well Well, i loved everything else you said then so (laughs) i thought that was great and then i I also oh but go ahead go ahead no you go ahead (laughs) i remember it so uh when we're thinking about uh jealousy and the the sense that it has with how we are open or choose to have those conversations or not to have those conversations Although they can be difficult and challenging and hard conversations to have as much as possible, those conversations are needed because uh, we as people, we're not mind readers. We we don't know if we don't know if these things aren't being talked about. And the more that we kind of isolate ourselves and stay within ourselves in that, we're allowed to make up our own narratives of, of what's actually happened versus what we think is happening. And so as we know, our minds are very powerful tools. So if we allow that to, to run away, it could get to this place where in Joe's example, Joe's uh, situations, he takes very, very extreme decision-making, which is often very detrimental to a lot of people's lives. And all of that's just the narrative that he made. Yeah. And I think um, something I always think about with this too, is like, like there's a vulnerability piece to this. If you can be vulnerable in those conversations about jealousy, because just talking about it isn't always, you know, going to be helpful. It could just lead to more arguments, but like being able to be vulnerable about what it's like to feel jealous and what it's like to be in that place is important. Whereas like if the, I think something that was like analogous to anger, Denzel, you said it was an emotion. So I was thinking about it as an analogy with anger is like, you know, if I can be vulnerable and talk about why I was angry, that can calm things down a little bit and make it easier in the future. But if I go from zero to 60 so fast and I can't manage it, um, it can kind of get out of control and I can't necessarily be vulnerable because it's such a strong feeling. And um, for me, just the way I kind of think about it, and this might not be how everyone thinks about it, but um, I remember someone saying one time that um, trust in a relationship isn't, isn't just about like trust of the other person. It's also about how you trust yourself to be okay. If something were to happen, so that intense jealous reaction in a way is also a, I don't know how, how well I'd be able to handle it if something was happening. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. I think that's another thing that's kind of going on and it's a reaction to like um, fear of loneliness or isolation or betrayal because I don't know what's going to happen to me if this is true or if this does happen. The, um, the impact of the fact that something could happen is very strong. That is very scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, look at Eric being a differentiated person. <laughs> I don't remember who said that too, but I've always kind of remembered it once I heard it. Yeah. I really like. well, I like what both of you said a lot um, about, especially 
one about not isolating yourself, Denzel, I totally agree. I think when you're having negative emotions or you're feeling jealousy and you keep it to yourself and don't have, and don't share it or even just communicate it, it can make it 10 times worse. Um, it can really escalate things. And so again, I think the ice, and if you think about the show, Joe was isolated. He never shared his thoughts or what was going on with him with anybody. And then look what happened, you know, after he, the decisions he made in isolation were um, very harmful. But then I also liked what Eric said about the vulnerability piece. Um, you know, if you are experiencing the emotion of jealousy and being vulnerable and, and why you're feeling this is so important. And then I just wanted to add on that is if you, um, are feeling jealous, um, and you do have a vulnerable conversation about, you know, with your partner and nothing, and they don't care or they belittle it or kind of doing what, um, Beck did, you know, really minimizing and dismissing and saying, well, you're just so crazy. Um, I would reevaluate if that's someone to be in a relationship with too, because, um, sometimes if the other person doesn't care, I mean, it could be the fact that that, that's not someone you want to be in a relationship with. Um, I think a lot of people, when they feel jealous, completely blame themselves and their insecurity, whereas sometimes it's a relationship dynamic where Mm -hmm. someone's doing things to even even intentionally make someone feel jealous, which is kind of a form of emotional abuse. So it's, it's again, it's, it's so dependent, you know, and, and exploring that, but sometimes that can also be used as a way to, to be abusive as well. Right. Yeah. It's definitely a loaded question. It's hard to kind of (laughs) negotiate because it can go, you know, if you go too far to one side, you're letting, jealousy go when maybe you shouldn't. If you go too far to the other side, you're not validating a, a normal emotion that someone's having. So it is exactly. kind of difficult to navigate that in between. Um, I feel like we didn't talk a lot about Joe and love. Is there any other kind of like topics or things you want to talk about with their relationship or things that come up? We mostly just kind of talked about how love ends up being um, kind of an interesting plot twist at the end, but what, are there any other kind of like thoughts about love and Joe and their relationship? I feel like for me, um, most of the topics that applied to Beck applied to love, you know, so it wasn't necessarily that that for me, there's anything that I felt like wasn't covered. I feel actually pretty happy about, you know, we've had a pretty comprehensive overview, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I don't know if you all have something else. I'd be happy to chat. I just can't think of anything. Sounds good. I think um, we talked a little bit about where we see this going, so we don't have to talk too much more about it. I was just kind of thinking, any bold predictions for next season? So we kind of had a few ideas. Let's go bold with it. Let's get a bold prediction for next season for from each of us. Hmm. Give me a second. <laughs> okay. I can start out. I don't know how bold it, it is. No, you got. Um, it has to be bold. It'll just be like it, it, it's bold to me. Don't live happily ever after. It can't be that. It's, it's not going to be. That, it's not going to be that simple. But uh, okay. So we, we, we know that we know that love is is uh, is pregnant. We also know that Joe ends the season looking through the fence at this other person who we don't know who it is. Um. So I think one thing that that is really Joe's calling card. Uh. 
for the better or for worse, is that Joe loves the kids. Uh, we see Paco, we see Elia, I think her name is. Um, Joe does at least what he feels like this all that he can to be able to to look out for them in the best way possible. So something about kids, and we don't know if that's healthy or not healthy yet, just based off of where we are in this kind of whole plot. But there's something about kids that that Joe really enjoys, appreciates, attracted to, whatever other words you want to look at. So we know that he, assuming everything goes well with birth and all that, that he will be a father with a mother that he may not be interested in moving forward with this lady across the street. So I think there may be some, some sort of a conflict with him, of course, internally, but maybe also externally of does he stay with this child and this partner, or does he pursue this possibly new interest that is next door? Um, kind of, kind of similar, I suppose. I think, um, maybe next season, Love is going to be more of the person who, cause it seems like he's kind of, um, out of the, you know, he's kind of moving on to the neighbor lady, maybe, um, that I think love is going to potentially be more of the pursuer, maybe the antagonist that she might, um, kind of be what Joe was to back. You know, it's going to like really turn full circle where she's monitoring him and tracking him to where it's almost like he gets a taste of his own medicine. So you think, uh, you think love's going to kill the neighbor? Yeah, I think that's quite possible. Or Joe. Or Joe, yeah. Or both of them. Yeah. Or both. It would be interesting to see if, um, they kind of change perspectives and maybe some of the seasons from love's perspective. So we had that one episode that was kind of from Beck's perspective, or I think half of it was from her perspective. And that was mm-hmm. interesting. I wonder if they might do that more with that with love. That'd be really interesting. So what about you, Eric? I'm trying to think of something really because they, they do such like intense, kind of crazy things. And I'm trying to like put myself in that mindset and I'm struggling a little bit. Um Yeah, I'm trying to think of something. I, I got nothing. I asked the question and now I got nothing. I feel like that's like a shame on you. <laughs> like... It really is. You can just say we took out a good answers. <laughs> I'll come up with something. We can cut, obviously, this in-between part. Yeah, I can uh, transition to a new conversation while you keep thinking if we like. Or not. Mm. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So we could because we could maybe move it back around later. Yeah, and so okay, uh, we're Eric. I think you were just mentioning uh, perspectives and like how we see how we saw like half of Beck's perspective like in the first season, but we don't really see much of that from Love. And one thing that that I became really interested in is so like thinking about like back to like Lion King one and a half where we saw like the whole story of like the first Lion King from Timon and Pumbaa's perspective. I wonder what it would be like if we had like a season 1.5 and a season 2.5 where we completely saw in this rawest form, like uh, Beck's perspective of Joe and everything that was happening as it happened throughout that parallel. 
and also looking at mm-hmm. season two and love in kind of that same lens and just witnessing how these different people who are in a relationship with this dude who is the same person may perceive him to be the same or similar. Cause as we think about Chelsea, you were talking earlier about how, um, like these people who are abusers could be anybody. It could be somebody walking up the street that you pass every day. It could be somebody that's been to jail 10 times or somebody never had a parking ticket, but just seeing just in this raw form, what they thought about Joe, we don't really know. It'd be really interesting. Yeah. And like, especially with love too, cause it could be like how much of the stuff that she was planning. And we kind of got like glimpses in this last episode, right? Where she was like, we changed our perspective where she was kind of like showing the things she was doing to get Joe. I wonder how much of that stuff we could see in terms of like, what is she doing to like loop Joe in here? Exactly. So to to add to my prediction, especially since we knew from well, we didn't know at the beginning, but we knew from the beginning that, you know, since they met in that little supermarket area that like, she knows a lot more about this person than she lets on. And so, like, to add on to, I guess, uh, just a little piece of of my prediction add on and kind of in line with what Chelsea was saying is uh, I think that we get to to see a little bit more into the inner monologue of love and just understanding what her, like, where's all this coming from for her? Because, like, we get that from Joe. We kind of know like the situation with his mom. We we know about the birdcage and being locked in when he was a child, but we don't really know much about Love's history as much as we now do we... Joe. So I yeah. think we get more of that. It would be nice. also, they're also setting up to learn more about Joe's history between when he left his mom and when he kind of started living that bookstore owner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious to see what group home stuff comes up as well because they're definitely setting that up like that's going to be a thing hmm. so here's my bold prediction and it's not that bold yet i was trying to come up with a more specific bold prediction but something's going to come back and bite joe something finally is going to actually happen to joe in terms of like they've been teasing it where all the stuff that's been going on either the pee in the jar is going to come back to bite him or um the henderson murder is going to come back to bite him or you know one of these things that he did is going to come back to him or and, Ellie. Yeah. I'd be, yeah, I don't know. I hopefully, I don't know if they're going to do a lot with Ellie because it seems like they're just kind of like throwing her off like they did with Paco, but hopefully we hear more from her. It was an interesting storyline. Okay. I think that's a good prediction because there are a lot yeah, of, um, not super bold though. Well, we'll give you extra points of. for foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're foreshadowing. <laughs> So I, there was one more thing that I was going to bring up, and I can't remember what it was. Denzel, what were you just talking about? I said foreshadowing. You started that new conversation. Oh, wow. Uh, like, there are different perspectives, uh, like season 1.5 and 2.5, like seeing more from yeah. the other people. You said something that triggered something in my head that I wanted to talk about, and I can't remember what it was. I should hate when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> I'll think about it later probably, but I'm, I don't think I'm going to come up with it now. You ain't going to sleep good tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and it was something that was like, um, outward facing. So it was something like take from the show to like talk about it in real life. And I can't remember what it was. Mm. 
Um, nothing. Oh, well. I hate when that happens. Oh, I got it. 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 So I don't know exactly where this is going to fit in, whether we move it around later or whatever, but this is something that I wanted to bring up before we stopped that I think is really important to note too. Um, so we learn a lot about Joe's history uh, and loves history too, and kind of how those histories kind of turned him into the person he was. So the uh, bookstore owner putting him in the cage and him learning things from that and him learning um, things from the relationship with his mom and his dad, or uh, who, uh, I don't know if it was a dad or stepdad that he killed, but um, all these things that kind of like, explain a little bit about why he is the way he is. And I think it's important that we simultaneously empathize with him and what he's been through while saying that it's not okay. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I think it's easy in a relationship to say, I need to you, you, seeing those things as they can coexist. So it's not like if I'm, I, in order to understand him, I have to stay with him or in order to like be empathetic I have to stay with him or her. Um, it can be like, I understand that this situation has made you who you are and that's still, it's not okay for this relationship and I need to leave the relationship or that needs to change. But I think a lot of people sometimes feel guilty, at least in like my clinical experience and just conversations and stuff I've read, um, feel guilty if they're not um, staying with them because that feels like that's not understanding that's what on went on for them. You know what I mean? Like they... Say like, oh, I understand where this is coming from, so that's okay. And that doesn't mean yeah. it's okay. It just means you understand where it's coming from. So just because you learn more about him and you can empathize and it's vulnerable that he's telling you this or she's telling you this doesn't mean you can allow the things to continue. I think that's a really, really important point. I think, again, a lot of really empathetic, caring people will sometimes use um, learning a history of trauma, um, which, again – like you said, can make things, you can understand where things are coming from, but um, can just make, use it as an excuse and, you know, excuse bad behavior. Um, And if someone's not actively challenging bad behavior, you know, because maybe they learned things in childhood, but um, if, if it's just continuing to happen, if someone's not making changes, if someone's acting a certain way, um, it's definitely important to say, yeah, like I, I can get where this is coming from. I still care about you, but this is not a healthy relationship for me and, um, moving forward in that. And then also not making you feel guilty. If you leave someone yeah. who's behaving badly and acting badly and, you know, just because they've dealt with things in life doesn't mean you need to feel guilty either. Yeah. It's not your job to change those things or fix those things. And I think that's what I see a lot of is that guilt. Like, Oh, you know, I didn't do enough or I didn't do what's right. Cause they had stuff go on. Like I should have been more understanding. Or I should have done this or that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or, you know, I gave up on them like everyone else or, you know, it's just yeah. those kind of narratives where you're the bad person for leaving an unhealthy relationship. Sometimes people need to be given up on in some ways. If it's detrimental to you. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we should give up on this podcast and wrap it up. <laughs> that was transit. another good segue. I like it. <laughs> I'm really good at segues. I don't know you if you are. guys. This uh, entire podcast thing has taught me is segues. Into, <laughs> into 
conversations. So it's one of those life skills you learn. And thanks to you for listening today. If you want to become a part of Relevation Nation and get daily information about romantic relationships, or just want to learn more about Relevate, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash myrelevate, follow us on Twitter at myrelevate, or on Instagram at instagram.com slash myrelevate. Special thanks to our producer and the composer of our opening music, Denzel Jones. See you next time.